Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights Podcast by SAP. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two guests, Dan and Connor. Dan and Connor, would you like to introduce yourselves? Uh, pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having us. My name is Dan, Dan Wellers. I'm head of research for the SAP Insights Research Center. We're a small team of researchers and analysts that uh, conducts research, research studies to uncover basically interesting, useful stuff about technology-related business issues for uh, decision makers. So that's my role. Connor? Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Connor Gaspar, and uh, maybe as you can guess, Dan and I work together. Uh, we have for the past few years, and uh, we're here working uh, with SAP Insights to lead the uh, research and data science mission. Fantastic. And as part of your SAP Insights, you've done a an environmental sustainability study, which is the reason we've invited you to come on to the podcast. So can you tell me a bit about that? What is it, you know, what was the thinking behind it and what kind of things did you find? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I'll start off and then, uh, yeah, Connor, yeah, turn it over to you when we get to the more interesting stuff. No, not really. so, <laughs> um, so we thought what was missing from the conversations about sustainability in business was an understanding of how companies prioritize the actions that they take on environmental issues. What's driving these actions, what's getting in the way, the challenges in measuring relevant data, whether the data that they track is used in decision-making, you know, things like that. So we believe that this study um, has opened a window into better understanding these areas as, as businesses begin to scale their sustainability efforts and, and therefore scale their impact on improving the planet's environment. So, you know, Connor, why don't you take us through some of the, the demographics and the methodology briefly behind the study? Yeah, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense, too, you know, because the, the study is only as powerful as the people who contributed to it. So. Uh, this was our inaugural, inaugural year of running the study, and um, it was kind of a, an exploratory approach toward environmental sustainability because SAP has never independently conducted a study in this way. And the idea was is that we wanted to kind of uncover a snapshot of the global state of affairs with respect to environmental sustainability. So the way in which we did this is we conducted an online survey, and this took place between um, November and December 2020. Uh, sorry, November 2020 and early 2021 in January. And we collected about 7,400 responses from uh, uh, across 19 different countries across four continents. Um, so some of these countries that were represented include Australia, Canada, Russia, Indonesia, Germany, the U.S., United Kingdom, just to name a few. So definitely a wide net that was cast to try to be as representative as possible of the companies which were included. Uh, critically, the uh, respondents who were responding on behalf of their companies, uh, while we did have a lot of seniority in terms of uh, you know, where they were in the organization, that wasn't critical. What was most important was that the respondents were knowledgeable about their organization's environmental sustainability goals, actions, and reporting methods. 
Um, so when it came to where these companies and the respondents on behalf of the companies were existing in terms of the industry, uh, we had about 16 industries uh, with about six uh, majorly represented. These were cargo transport and logistics, consumer products, engineering construction operations, uh, wholesale distribution, and retail. Um, so, you know, enough about the actual study characteristics. Why don't we talk about some results? Dan, do you want to take us away there? Sure, absolutely. Um, and the first thing we started with was, was why are companies doing this? I mean, what is, what's driving them to take action? And, you know, of course, there are many reasons, uh, but we, we found the most important one was a commitment from the top of the company, from the CEO or the board of directors. You know, once again, demonstrating, you know, strong leadership is crucial. Uh, of course, that begs the question, you know, what's driving these leaders, right? And, and the answers, plural, to that are several, of course. But, you know, next on the list and a really close second was government regulations, right? Which shows that, uh, you know, companies take these rules and regulations um, seriously. Mm -hmm. So done correctly, they could have a big impact. Um, you know, two more were revenue and profit growth opportunities and the, the potential for product or service innovation. And that was really interesting because it suggests that companies are starting to see market opportunities in solutions that address um, environmental problems. And, and then close behind was you know, commitment to the UN SDGs, the UN Sustainable De Development Goals. So it's you know, great to see that these are a rallying point and still driving action. And then an um, interesting one, which we did totally expect, was strengthening the approval in the society of your organization, sometimes referred to as the, the social license to, op to operate, excuse me. This is um, acceptance granted to a company by the community where it operates. Does it like play by the rules? Does it operate ethically? Is it trusted? So, so those were the top ones. Um, relatively low in the rankings of motivators were things like you know, risks to financial results. People are not worried about that. Investor demand is not really driving a lot of action, or at least wasn't at the time of this survey. And employee demand, also uh, relatively low. These were a bit of a surprise to us. It's mm -hmm. going to be interesting to see if their influence, you know, rises in the future. Um, yeah, of course, we looked into motivators. So since we looked into them, we also needed to look into into the barriers sure. that get in the way of companies taking action, right? Um, and here's where we uncovered, you know, in our opinion, one of the most hopeful, I guess, findings in this research. Uh, let me explain. The, the, the four things that most hinder or impede, get in the way of environmental action from companies are, first, they, you know, they don't know how to embed sustainability into their business processes and their information technology. Uh, they're not clear on how any potential actions they could take align with their strategy. Uh, third is you know, difficulty proving the return on investment. And then, you know, fourth of the top there were they don't know how to measure their environmental impact. They're doubtful about their ability to measure the good that they're doing. Um, it was interesting that much further down this list of barriers were things like the lack of necessary expertise. They, they, they think they have enough expertise. You know, the lack of funding was not a problem. Funding was not a problem. Uh, the support from senior management um, was all seemed to be there. 
and organizational resistance, and or they don't know where to start. These were not issues, right? So we suspected a couple of years ago these would have been much more important barriers, but there's been this awakening in the past few years. So many businesses are no longer asking whether to act, but have kind of moved on to how to measure the impact of their actions, which you know we think is very en- encouraging. Um, well, I, you know, I can continue to step through. I've got some other things to go through, Tom. I can please do, please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that the the two biggest levers were, uh, if I remember correctly, leadership and regulation. So, top level leadership number one and regulation number two. And I, I, I I'm starting. I, I'm starting to see, and I'm, I think I'm not alone in this, I'm starting to see that large companies now, and even even mid-sized companies now, the leaderships there are starting to want to take action. So it's it's that's great. Uh, regulation is coming. So for those who might be laggards, they're going to be required to, according to legislation, as, as we get closer to 2030. Um, so that that's that's all good. But it, it leads up to the barriers that you mentioned, the, the fact that there's this lack of uh, expertise and, well, not even lack of expertise, but lack of know-how in how to deploy right. um, measuring tools and things like that. That's, I think that's going to be the, the biggest challenge. Yeah, exactly. And they go hand in hand, right? The, mm. the, top, of the top of the company wants to do it. Um, okay, how do we do this, right? Okay, this is hard. It's really hard. Mm-hmm, it is. Um, and the government regulation issue, I mean, I, I'm kind of just going to talk about this uh, closer to the end, but we are doing this study again, uh, and we're adding a government regulation topic to it, and we want to dive deeper into that to find out what's really going on there, uh, what, do, what do people think would be more helpful within the government regulation framework, but I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Um, so, um, so we also ask people about their company's investment priorities for specific environmental issues. And I'll just run through them quickly. The issues like climate change, air pollution, nature loss, fresh water availability, water pollution, solid waste, materials use, resource availability, and then impact on suppliers. Um, and, And because these can mean different things to different people, we included specific definitions for each of these issues in the survey so okay. people could see what we're talking about. And we sourced these from recognized organizations like the GRI, the Global Reporting Initiative, or SASB, the Sustainability Accounting, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, so people that really know what they're talking about. Um, and and I, guess, I guess overall it's not surprising that climate change was number one, the mon- number one investment pri- priority. Um, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, improving energy management, offsetting carbon output through you know, carbon credits, things like that. But more unexpected to us anyway, as top investment priorities were these things, the following things. Increasing materials from renewables, increasing recycled materials, and reclaimed materials from products and packaging. That was in the materials use issue. Um, and reducing use of single-use plastics, increasing percentages of all waste recycled or reused, that was in the solid waste issue. And then the third surprise of the surprising list was the increasing the percentage of circular flow of materials throughout the value chain, increasing products designed for reuse, repair, and remanufacture. Um, that was under the resource availability issue. 
Uh, the really interesting thing is that these three investment priorities happen to be central to the circular economy. Yeah. And together, they make up 40% of the respondents' top investment choices. Wow. So, so, yeah. And, you know, a little aside here, this could be the subject of its own separate research study, which we'd love to do. I mean, as we know, the circular economy isn't just about zero waste, right? That's an outcome. Mm-hmm. But the real benefit is keeping products and materials circulating. And um, reducing emissions by, by default. Exactly, but not sitting in a landfill, circulating mm-hmm. in the economy, exact, but generating economic value with each loop, right? So that's what's going to be the driver, the business driver behind it, uh, we think. But anyway, that's a different different study, we hope, at some point. Cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, at this point, I'll pause. Connor, we've got the next set of findings. Uh, but uh, just, from, just from that, we're seeing yeah, that right. the, 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 two, the two main interests that people have there are climate and circular. And they, they fit quite nicely together, both of them, because reducing or increasing circular reduces emissions by itself anyway. So th- those two fit really, really well together. Exactly right. It's really cool. So, so Connor, um, yeah, next set of findings were the, the focus on the data and metrics and stuff. Really cool things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'd say a large portion of the survey actually dives into the specifics of data because, you know, when Dan's talking about the different investments that companies can be making, you know, how are companies also measuring the impact of their investments? You know, are they measuring key specific outcomes? You know, what ways are they kind of framing that? So one of the things that we asked, uh, you know, our respondents was, what sorts of metrics do you use within your company for monitoring and reporting uh, with respect to environmental sustainability data? So we gave them a list of, you know, different options, which were uh, detailing different standardized, universalized frameworks, you know, frameworks such as those published by uh, SASB, uh, the CDP, the Carbon Disclosure Project, and you know a whole bunch of heavy hitters in terms of the organizations and NGOs, which exist to kind of universalize the playing field from company to company and even from industry to industry. And so what we found, and this was perhaps one of the most surprising of all the findings, is that of all the different standards that companies can use to conceptualize their environmental data, they're using their own. They're not using the ones which exist to uh, create an even playing field, they're using whatever it is that works for them. So there's kind of this disharmony within uh, an industry or you know within each company as to how they're actually framing and formulating and calculating their data. This is obviously a problem because it means that we can't compare notes as well because there's an incongruency present. Um, when it comes to actually collecting data, so never mind how we're framing the data that exists, the majority of companies are saying that they're calculating and producing their data not through direct means or through, say, a sensor. They're doing so indirectly uh, with assumptions and estimates. So they're kind of, you know, uh, imputing or otherwise not directly measuring their environmental sustainability data, which is kind of, you know, surprising to us. Um, when you're looking at the actual satisfaction with the quality of environmental sustainability data, another surprising finding is that only one-fifth of our uh, total survey respondent pool says they're actually completely satisfied with their environmental sustainability data. This was really surprising. Specifically, it was 21%, you know, one-fifth were saying they were completely satisfied, which leaves the other 79% of the, the pool saying that there's something wrong along the way in how they're using, collecting, you know, conceiving, framing their environmental sustainability data. 
thankfully, we had the foresight, you know, not knowing this result, to follow up with these very same people, the 79% who are dissatisfied, and ask them why they're dissatisfied, you know, what reasons apply. And what we found was that the most uh, prevalent, you know, most often selected reasons for being dissatisfied are these. The first is uh, that they feel that their data is out of scope or incomplete. So it's not quite meeting the needs that they have particularly. Uh, another one is that they feel the data is out of date. You know, it's no longer relevant due to data collection frequency issues. You know, maybe the data was collected two months ago, but here I am today needing to figure out how to act in this scenario right now in the very moment. And kind of related to this in some ways, but it was a distinct option, was that, uh, you know, the data isn't accessible soon enough. This was another big reason why people were dissatisfied with their data. You know, maybe it wasn't uh, being passed along to them, you know, as quick as it could be, or it was a, a difficult procedure to even get it in the first place. And the fourth thing, which kind of harkens back to what I was talking about just a few minutes ago, was about this idea of how the data is collected. So people feel that there is a lack of transparency in the uh, assumptions and estimates used to calculate the data in the first place. So what we're seeing is the most often means of data being collected is also you know, an underlying reason and why people are dissatisfied with the data in the first place. And, you know, I guess it shouldn't be all too surprising, you know, going to a bit more of a, uh, an outcome at this stage, uh, to hear that people aren't really integrating their environmental sustainability data to a strong degree in their day-to-day -day operational and strategic decision-making. We asked, um, you know, companies to what extent they're integrating the data, and only 29% of the total sample was saying that they're doing so to a strong degree. So there's something, you know, it, it all seems like kind of a chain of events, not necessarily, you know, causal, but all these things are highly interrelated that kind of lead and are related to this, um, this lack of integration. And we have a whole bunch of other questions like this. I'll take a pause here um, before I hand it off to Dan, but uh, yeah, so, a lot just uncovered. Yeah, so they're not reporting to standards if I can summarize, they're not reporting to standards, uh, they're not happy with the data, and they're not getting it frequently enough. Yeah, those are all <laughs> definitely key highlights. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if they're not reporting to, to standards, it's it's hardly surprising that they're not satisfied with the data, and the fact that it's not real-time uh, is, is obviously why it's not timely. So the, the information needs to be near, if not real time, it needs to be two standards, two recognized standards, and then it can start to be deployed strategically. Is that probably the the, the way to sum it up? I would say so, yeah. And we have a, a bit of a pet theory. I'm just going to air it out a little sure. bit about the whole non-standards. Um, you know, it isn't necessarily that we feel that the standards aren't necessarily meeting organizations' use cases. It's that it also may be the fact that you know, as an organization evolves in terms of its uh, sustainability investments and sustainability mission and objectives, the standards aren't necessarily encompassing enough for the organization. It doesn't match everything that they're measuring or that they're trying to do. So they need to evolve their kind of own customized ways of seeing their own data because they feel they're in these niche edge cases, right? So while, you know, they might be using the standards to a high degree, there are always going to be these outliers in organizations that just don't fit you know, a standard model per se. Okay, so that's probably, I'm, I'm going to speculate here, that's probably due to the immaturity of the space that we're talking about. Could be, yeah. And, and you know, the other thing too is that, you know, what does it mean to have 10, 15 different standards, right? <laughs> it's, mm. it's kind of a, an oxymoron in some ways, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, were you going to come in there? Yeah, yeah. Um, the standards, it's one of the fastest moving standards development. Um, it's one of the fastest moving areas in this whole, this whole um, discussion right now. Uh, even in the relatively short time since this survey, there have been tremendous strides uh, by standards bodies to come together and try to standardize on something uh, because they recognize that uh, it's really not functional to have 15 or more different standards out there uh, to the points Connor has made. So, and it's one of the things we want to, we're going to try to dive in a little deeper in wave two of this to see how much that's changed and are these co coalescing um, around of, um, uh, a set of common things and our companies, instead of creating their own, you know, writing their own standards, which is a real su surprise to us, writing their own frameworks, right? They weren't using industry standard ones. They were developing it themselves. Is that starting to tail off? And are people coalescing around a set of certain ones? And if so, which ones? So um, we okay. hopefully we'll, we'll get underneath that. And when so. is that due? When are you going to start rolling that out? Or have you put a time on it yet? Yeah, we will start rolling it out soon. I'm going to talk about um, in the next two weeks, we hope to get it out there. The survey is done. We're just ready going through some contractual stuff. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we will get it out. Um, it's, it's, it's at the gate. Uh, and I'm going to talk about when I summarize the final three couple things about this study, I want to talk about some of the issues and topics that we're adding to wave two um, also. So um, can I dive in? Sure, please do. Okay, great. So, so there are three final, last findings of note um, for these research results that I want to go through. The, the, the first is um, all about the environmental sustainability's effect on profit and competitiveness, right? Mm. So 80% of the respondents see a positive relationship between environmental sustainability and companies' long-term profitability and 71% see that same relationship, positive relationship, um, between environmental sustainability and long-term competitiveness. So we asked it both ways, but it's very hopeful, very positive. People are really beginning to see that this is long-term customer success or long-term company success, customer also, um, is really important um, for this. Um, the second issue is the financial materiality of environmental issues. As another way to gauge if companies think about sustainability as a business issue, we asked, how long do you think it will be before environmental issues become material to business results? And the definitions, there are several, and it's evolving, but basically it's um, something is material if it is reasonably likely to impact the financial condition or operating performance, right? Uh, so... So 17% of all respondents believe that environmental issues are material now to their business. 22% believe that these issues will be material in one to five years. And 61% believe that they will be material, environmental issues will be material five years or more um, from now. So That's disappointing. Essentially, <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, <laughs> these are the nevers, right? <laughs> Um, and and the, the majority, you know, 83% of respondents saw materiality of environmental issues as a future condition. You know, now, we know that it really is now, <laughs> mm. material now, whether they know it or not. But, um, but that was a little disappointing. Um, but it was interesting that when we compared the 17% that said environmental issues are material now 
to everybody else. Yep. We saw they have fewer barriers to taking action. Mm. They consider sustainability a higher investment priority. They use data in more decisions. You see where I'm going. Yeah, They're yeah. more satisfied with the quality of the data. They see a stronger relationship between sustainability and profitability and competitiveness, right? So, so be like those people right? <laughs> <laughs> there. Um, and I guess to wrap up the results of, of this study, and then I'll get into briefly the wave two stuff, um, uh, I want to uh, make a note or uh, just talk about a note about, about industries, mm. uh, specific industries. Okay. Uh, on our set up front, we collected enough data for statistically credible results in six industries. And just I'll repeat them quickly. Engineering and construction, retail, consumer products, cargo and logistics, automotive and industrial machinery. Of those, consumer products stood out head and shoulders above the rest in key measurements, including higher data satisfaction, more collection of data using sensors versus estimates, longer time measuring data, they've been doing it longer, greater investment in, in, in tensions, greater use of data in decision-making, so stronger relationship to profitability and com, com, competitiveness, and also a much stronger sense, and I guess this would, make, would be logical, that environmental issues are material to their business right now. Mm. And the difference was stark. I mean, can't show bar charts on a podcast, but it was just, it was just <laughs> open, stood out. And do you, do you think that's because they're because they are consumer products because they are exposed to consumers? So is it around brand protection, for example? It is around brand protection. It's the risk to brand reputation. It's understand. Yes, you're right. In consumer products, that's there. The fascinating thing there is, and this wasn't from the study. We're you know adding our own mm -hmm. um, insights to this now. Is but they are seeing the change in demand. They're seeing the change in customers reacting and responding to things that are to products that have sustainability and environmental sustainability, because that's what this was about built in. So yeah, that could very well be. And yeah, that would also bear more research, right? Right. Good. Uh, to, to find out, but that's absolutely, absolutely possible, if not probable. Um, so, so real quickly, those were the major findings of this research, but another, you know, great thing about it was that it raised a whole bunch of additional <laughs> and really intriguing questions for us to go explore. So as I said, wave two is going to, it's ready to go out to the market, It'll be out there in the next couple of weeks. It'll be in the field. Um, and here are some of the new topics that we're adding. So we saw the importance of government regulations. We are going to determine or inquire, get underneath how effective are these regulations on motivating actions that benefit both the environment and business. Are they, you know, it's important to get both sides right. Sure. Uh, also, what are the most effective actions that governments can take? You know, carbon tax, cap and trade, performance standards, extended producer responsibility goals, right? What, what do people think would be most important? Um, also, another topic, what climate impacts are organizations already experiencing? Um, scarcity of resources, facilities damage, you know, workforce disruptions, supply chain disruptions, yes. Um, employees stress or anxiety, right? What, what are you feeling now? What's mm. already in your mm. in your in your top mind? Um, we talked about decision making and using environmental sustainability data, the metrics in decision making, and we basically asked yes or no, are you or aren't you? What well, we want to get underneath that with, okay, what kinds of decisions are you using them for? 
Uh, is it about supplier choices? Is it about material choices? Is it mergers and acquisitions? Is it new products? Is it capital or other investments? And also importantly, how helpful are those metrics for making those decisions? We also want to dive into more understanding of supply chains uh, and how much company, how much visibility companies have into their extended supply chains, environmental sustainability goals and metrics. How much influence do they have over their suppliers' progress, right? And, mm. and any barriers that exist to tracking and reducing impact across their extended supply chains. We want to tease out also if organizations belong to industry consortiums or coalitions that work together toward sustainability objectives because we need to work together. Um, and then finally, to, to what extent would business financial stakeholders be tolerant of deferred or reduced profitability in mm. pursuit of their organization's goals, right? How much leeway do you think your financial stakeholders are going to give you um, in terms of, uh, you know, reducing the, 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 the standard traditional financial metrics of success? So, so we want to get underneath that as well. So, so anyway, that's a wrap on the environmental sustainability research for now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll stop there and pause for a sec. Okay. I think we're yeah. This is this is basically what we wanted to what we wanted to bring out. Okay, very good, very good. Yeah, I mean, if I were to be answering that, I think when it comes to what regulations I would want rolled out, probably I'd recommend to governments to mandate that organisations uh, measure and report and set targets, and have those targets be you know science based targets. So use the science based targets initiative to to create your targets and then measure and report against those targets at least quarterly. Okay, great. <laughs> that might be. No, I, 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 I didn't. I didn't re read off the whole list. I sure. May have that in there as a choice. If not, we'll do it in in wave three. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not too late for wave two. Okay. <laughs> well, that's true. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're Super. right. We could we could add it in. You're right. It hasn't been stamped out just yet. <laughs> All right. Yeah, there we go. So I I might have had an impact. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice. Uh, any further findings from this that you want to talk about before we uh, wrap up? Uh, we do have a, a rather recent study. I know it's you know not central to the the project we've been talking about today. Oh, great! Uh, but if we have a few minutes, maybe I can talk about um, our uh, what we've dubbed our senior executive priority study. Is that okay? Please do. Okay, great. So this is uh, actually the largest study that SAP or SAP Insights has ever independently conducted to date. Uh, so, you know, where the environmental sustainability study was 7,000 respondents, this is 11,278 respondents. Wow. And not just any respondents, these are senior executives. Uh, we have more countries, 41 countries relative to, I think, 19 previously, mm -hmm. uh, and 28 industries as opposed to, uh, gosh, it was, I think it was 18 or 19 industries. I'm losing track of the numbers. <laughs> but um, this was a very recent study. I mean, you know, it's uh, mid-February right now, and this study I'm talking about now was conducted in September to December of 2021, so just two and a half months ago. Um, the respondents who we had in the survey, you know, as the title suggests, had a high level of responsibility and oversight in their individual lines of business, and they had roles from director to C-suite, uh, from, from director to C-suite. Uh, and the idea of this research was kind of to examine how leaders are steering their businesses in the face of unprecedented global challenges. So, you know, some characteristics of businesses and business models are always going to remain unchanged. But, you know, 
business companies still need to maximize revenue, increase efficiency, reduce risk. But how are these pillars or priorities being approached in light of the great shifts that have kind of like took place in the last, um, you know, two-ish years with respect to all the turmoil that, you know, it's been globally unfolding? Um, so what we found was that, you know, across revenue growth and efficiency, in terms of revenue growth, what really stood out in terms of environmental sustainability is that businesses are just as likely to say that product sustainability improvements are a means to grow their revenue as they are to say other items, more traditional items, such as introducing new products and services, improving the customer experience, or other traditional revenue drivers that kind of sit in that same space. So we kind of have this, you know, maybe called a new entrant in some ways that is seen on par in terms of um, the importance as a means to grow revenue. This was really surprising to us. It's really unexpected finding. This isn't a survey about sustainability and, oh, there, sustainability pops up. <laughs> and the other thing I'll mention about the study is in the pillar of efficiency. So while the number one action to improve efficiency, unsurprisingly, is improving uh, spending and cost control, number two was about making these operational processes more sustainable, right? And I think this is really contextualized by what was the number three item, which is improving automation in these very same processes. So, you know, beneath uh, spent, uh, cost and spend control and above automation, this was, you know, I think the, the order really speaks for itself. There's something that you wouldn't expect it to be nested between. Um, so just as it has for revenue, sustainability has joined the ranks in terms of the top methods for improving and driving efficiency. And thus, sustainability is a driver, both revenue and efficiency, clearly a booster and not really a detriment to the bottom line as it's been seen historically. So if I had to tease just one thing, that's our latest study, very forthcoming. Tremendous, tremendous, fascinating stuff. Okay, folks, we're heading towards the end of the podcast now. Is there any question I have not asked that you wish I had? Or is there any aspect of this that we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of? I think, I think we're good. It's tremendous, tremendous. Okay, well, folks, if people want to know more about yourselves or about the study or any of the things we talked about in the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? I would direct them to, uh, we have a great website. It's uh, insights.sap.com. A lot of really good research results out there. This research is out there. The full report, which is called Balanced Sheet Blind Spot, is out there. Um, really interesting, well done. There's a separate um, um, uh, a separate resource, a separate report out there with just the data visualizations. So we talked about some numbers, and I you know, joked about how I can't show bar charts, right? Yeah. But uh, if you wanted to dive deeper into the data, it's all out there in a very consumable format. We worked hard to make it to make it that way. Um, and also on insights.sap.com, there are a lot of you know art articles and you know deeper dives into lots of different topics. And we also have a newsletter which you could sign up for weekly, um, which uh, covers covers issues of the day and what's going on. Um, um, that's top of our minds and other thought leaders too. So, uh, so sign up for that. So, yeah, so that's good. That's it. Insights.sap.com. Fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So people have access to it and I must sign up for that newsletter. I was not aware of that. So thank you for that. Excellent. Great. Super. That's fantastic. So Dan and Connor, thanks a million for coming to the podcast today. It was our pleasure. Thanks for having yeah. us.
Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.